Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is still excited at actually seeing each other just a couple of days ago. I'm Kevin Day, he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. We had a lovely lunch, didn't we, Kieran, with two nice bottles of wine, which would have been a much better idea if you weren't a teetotaler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just hope producer guys' ears have stopped burning. <laughs> yes, yes. It, we, in fact, we, we had to wear badges so that we recognised each other uh, in the <laughs> restaurant because it's been such a long time. <laughs> uh, it's, it's questions day, Kieran, and the first actually comes from a chap called Producer Guy from Muddytown in Goldshire. <laughs> and he asks, how did you get hold of my credit card to pay for lunch? <laughs> I'm not sure he knows yet. <laughs> um, we have some good questions today, Kieran. So let's let's crack on. Um, and no news for once, which we, which we're taking as good news. Yes, Derby County fans can step down. The first question comes from Kieran Scott Reese, and Scott says that his club Swansea uh, have just dropped their youth system to grade two. Now, as a club who have been covering day-to-day losses by selling our best youth products, says Scott, how can this be a benefit? I understand the obvious reduction in running costs from a grade one to a grade two, but when we make so much from selling players and have a number of academy graduates in the first team, I can't see why we've done it. Yes, it it does appear to a certain extent to be a a decision made on a short-term basis. The, the difference between a Class 1 and a Class 2 academy is quite significant. The running costs are around about $5 million a year for a Class 1 and about $1.5 million for a Class 2. So there is a significant savings. You are also monitored you, uh, by, the, by the authorities, by the grading authorities, uh, in, in terms of the uh, provisions that are made to the young academy players. So, and uh, the... The, the upkeep of the facilities is uh, and expectations are far greater as well. At the same time, you've only got to you know unearth one nugget uh, every couple mm. of seasons, and it more than covers itself. But I think this is indicative of um, a the the crisis in finances, especially for clubs in the championship at present, and b as a result of our uh, one of our old friends the elite player performance plan eppp yeah. um the the larger clubs can now effectively snap all your players whilst they're still academy players you that th- you are given a fixed tariff in terms of the compensation and some clubs have have made the decision well you know if if we have a good player and he looks good at 14 we're going to lose him to to a bigger club we're going to get you know naff all uh, money coming back, so so that's why yeah, you know, why bother? What explains Kieran that three point five million drop in running costs then from a grade one to a grade two? Um, I I think you have to increase the facilities available to the the academy players. There's got to be uh, greater investment in education. Um, ah, there's got to be um, you know a, a, a much broader curriculum on offer to the uh, to the academy players um because it it is it is deemed to be an elite product and and, and you, you think about you know your your club palace who've been in the in the premier league for eight nine years now and you've only just moved up to class one because you're, you're being audited in effect as well so you know you, you can expect to visit at any time um so you know the compliance costs are quite considerable and it's not just financial you know there's a lot of it there's administrative burdens as well 
Yeah, I've, I've got a meeting at our new academy and training ground next week. I, I can't wait because if it's as nice as Steve Parrish says it is, it's going to be lovely. And apparently the sandwiches are great as well. So are Swansea Kieran taking a gamble here that, that talent in Wales will still be attracted to, to them anyway? Um, yes, they are. You know, they, they will still be in the you know in, in a significant radius around around the Swansea area. You would think that they would be first choice. Um, they, they just can't offer the, the the same quality of facilities as before, and th- this is a function of no longer being in the Premier League. If, if, you, if you take a look at clubs in the Championship, if you're not in receipt of parachute payments, then you're probably looking at income in the region of you know, perhaps 15 to 20 million a year. If, if a quarter of that is going out on an academy costs, yeah, mm. that, that is pretty significant. But as, as Scott says, it, it is a big risk, isn't it? Because of all the clubs in the championship, Swansea, I, I would, would guess, are the team that are most likely to have young players in their first team. So if they're, if they're losing that... A potential recruitment tool, then they they are looking at long term problems, aren't they? Yes, yes, um, but yeah, I, I, from from their point of view, they can do all the hard work and and then lose their players for next to nothing under the yeah, way. Yeah. You know, the, the system is geared towards making it easy for the the big clubs to come in, uh, snaffle players for next to nothing, um, and then they go into those big clubs' uh, recruitment models. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, we've we discussed this. We've got clubs with twenty to thirty players out on loan um, from, from from Premier League clubs, and and they are making money on the back of that. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have to excuse a slight frog in my throat, Kieran. I've had it since uh, Friday lunchtime, amazingly. <laughs> uh, uh, Ali spent the whole weekend saying, I think you probably need to take a COVID test. I was like, Ali, I know exactly why. I've got a sore throat and a headache. It's fine. I don't need to test for anything. See, um, my, my, or- my orangina didn't have the same impact on me. Yeah, it was a slightly posh orangina you had, wasn't it? It was water <laughs> that the, the waiter added some kind of orange thing into, and it, yes. it looked it looked like a, a Cresta from the old days. Oh, man, uh, it's, that, it's frothy, man. That, I, <coughs> I, I used to love Cresta when I was a kid. There we go again with the 70s references. <laughs> uh, our next question comes from John O'Leary, uh, who's an Everton fan, I presume. Uh, John says that Everton have just announced a strategic partnership with Sligo Rovers from the League of Ireland Premier Division. Could this be a way for Everton to sign younger EU nationals who no longer qualify for a work permit but could come to the club via the Republic? I suppose, Kieran, it could just be in the hope of finding another Seamus Coleman who who they got from Sligo for €60,000, which is one of the bargains of the of the decade. Yes, yes. Um, th- there's always been, you know, as somebody that works in Liverpool, there's always been a close connection between the city and yeah. Ireland, uh, but you know, culturally and geographically, uh, you know, um, and this is, uh, you know, the, 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 some people might be offended by this, but you know, as we used to say in my family, we come across regularly on the potato boat, um, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you know, Liverpool to to Dunleary and, and Dublin um, was. Uh, was a common feature, you know, and and that's that's how we used to refer to it. So so those of you who are now writing letters of outrage, uh, point out that yeah, I can say that I'm Irish. Um, yes, Kieran, me, I'm I'm writing a letter of outrage as we speak. How dare you? <laughs> My mum used to say the cabbage boat. So there you go. Oh right. Yeah, and then she'd also say things like "I'm not as green as I'm cabbage looking," which I never understood <laughs> as a kid. But you just you just go, oh, okay, I'm fair enough. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, but no, there's always, of course. I mean, the, the, you only have to be in in Dublin on a Saturday morning to see the the amount of people from the 
Ireland flying to London or Liverpool or Manchester for English football games to know there's a huge link between the two countries and two sports. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think John's point uh, does have uh, a lot of validity. A, having a link up uh, between Everton and Sligo Rovers allows uh, Sligo to a certain extent to be a form of a holding area. If, if they do identify players, and remember there is still freedom of movement between uh, the Republic of Ireland and, and the yeah. other countries in the EU, um, they could be brought across. Um, in terms of getting what's referred to as a GBE, a governing body endorsement, uh, the, the system, uh, I think, is, is now operating quite smoothly, uh, is my understanding. And it is a points-based system. Now, um, this season, Sligo Rovers have qualified for the UEFA Conference League. Um, And that is good for points. So uh, you can see the the rationale from from Everton's point of view um, in that uh, Sligo, they're a decent team. I think they're currently fourth in, in the League of Ireland. Um, if they if they are regularly getting uh, access to uh, UEFA competitions, that's that's going to add to the points for any players there, and that would certainly make it easier to to subsequently uh, transfer those players across to to England for Everton. So I, I think it's it's a sensible decision uh, that there's benefits for for both sides because Sligo will get access to to Everton's sort of training and, and, and cultural facilities in terms of player development, um, and, and Everton. Well, yeah. If they get if they get one more Seamus Coleman out of it, then then it's paid for mm. itself, you know, hundred times over. I'm ashamed to say, Kieran. Uh, talking of potential threatening letters, uh, having spent half my childhood in Donegal, I never actually got to Sligo because it was the next the next county down, and therefore oh. evil. Yes, basically. <laughs> I, I remember saying to my mum, "I can see it from here, mum. I can, can I just just not wander over and have a look?" No. <laughs> you, you probably won't come back. They'll they'll sell you into some kind of Sligo child slave traffic. I might have to go. Let's go to Sligo. I, 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 I was similar because we because my my dad's family was from Tipperary, oh. um, and we had a farm there. So I, I was driving a tractor from the age of nine. Uh, you know, collecting hay, uh, milking cows, going to the and I, I could drive a tractor to. This this is classic Irish country style. I was driving a tractor full of milk to the uh, to to the local dairy at the age of nine, um, and, and that was deemed to be perfectly normal. Well, of course it was, Kieran, because at the age of nine, you were the only teetotaler in the family. I imagine. <laughs> uh, yes. So yeah, we're, we're yeah, as you say, we're allowed to say these things. Um, Paul Doddymead, Kieran. Paul Doddymead has the privilege for now of the final word on cryptocurrency, because we've discussed it a lot lately. Uh, to be perfectly honest, it still confusionates me. Um, yeah. So I think we'll, we'll draw a veil, because Paul's question kind of ties up some some of the loose ends. Uh, and for now, I think we'll, we'll end the Dalek money discussions. Uh, Paul says, if a Premier League player were to request part payment of salary, in cryptocurrency, what would be the benefits and the risks? Right. Um, this, uh, th- I think this is sort of based on what we've been seeing happen in the USA, where yeah. some of the uh, the American franchise sports, they, they have players who are requesting payments in, in cryptocurrencies. 
I suspect those players are also being sponsored privately by cryptocurrency uh, Ah, companies who are trying to increase the legitimacy of cryptocurrency. Um, The... The, the the risks and the benefits for, for the players and the clubs is that um, it, it's a very volatile market. So if, if, you're play, if you're paying a player one Bitcoin per week, then you've got to go and pay for that. And um, if you, you're going to have to pay for it in, in sterling or another currency, potentially, un- unless you, you make a big investment. So uh, from the club's point of view, they might have to pay more in order to pay the player a set fee. Um, or equally, they may have to pay less. From the player's point of view, um, the value of what that cryptocurrency can buy, that goes up or down because it's a bit like, you know, uh, paying for things in uh, a foreign currency here in the UK, it, you know, they, they, they go up or down, uh, yeah, and it, it, it is unregulated. You could end up with a situation similar to football index that you know, ultimately it, its store of value is, is based on confidence in the system, and, and once the confidence starts to ebb away, the value can go very quickly with it. So, um, yeah, it, it's 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 a gamble. It's as simple as that. You might as well go and pay people in lottery tickets. See, we've, I actually did a job once where I was paid in lottery tickets. That was a <laughs> foolish idea. Um, strangely enough, Friday lunchtime idea. You'd be amazed. <laughs> uh, so, so are you suggesting, Kieran, if you talk about some of these American sports people maybe sponsored by cryptocurrencies, Wolves, for example, are one of the Premier League teams that have uh, shirt sleeve sponsors for a cryptocurrency. Uh, company, are you suggesting that perhaps Wolves might be a club that would be interested or look to, or be uh, you know, agreeable to to paying some of their players in that fashion? I, I think if all the parties uh, were happy to go along with it, I, I can't see too much of of a of a, a problem. And you know, I think uh, Watford are being paid in cryptocurrency by their cryptocurrency sponsor you know, or something something similar to that. So yeah, we, we are seeing uh, an increase uh, in this. And uh, you know, from, from, from the football industry's perspective, as the relationship between football and gambling does appear to be drifting apart because there is certainly pressure coming from yeah. uh, central government and, and those people who are concerned about the uh, the consequences of gambling on on young people um then you know could could crypto fall into that vacuum it, it certainly could are they likely to be the biggest p- payers in town i think that they could because you know, in my view cryptocurrency is just a slightly different form of gambling it was described to me mm. by somebody senior in football as betting without a big b that's interesting well, i think the the salient words in paul's question are part payment because yeah. everything i've recently from from you kieran and from uh from gavin your chess cheat friend uh, expert <laughs> in cryptocurrency i can forgive kieran but i can't forget uh <laughs> or forgive <laughs> uh, words of the, the great mark lamar everything i've heard indicates that you would have to be a very very confident or foolish to request your entire salary payment in cryptocurrency. So part payment, you kind of think, well, they're wealthy enough to take the gamble 
anyway. Yeah. And if it comes off, they're going to make a lot of money. But no one, I imagine, is just demanding that their entire salary is paid in cryptocurrency. No, no, because uh, yeah, when, when you place your Ocado order, yeah, they'll be still still asking for the payment in sterling. So you're going to have to convert it into uh, a, a hard currency at some point. Yeah, it's going to be a long, cold day in hell, Kieran, before I start placing card orders. <laughs> Dear oh, lordy me. Uh, you, you, they're, they're around your house so regularly, Kieran, I can tell when they're there because it's the only time Findlay doesn't bark. <laughs> like, oh, I recognise this man. Uh, Tim Stevens asks a simple question, and that simple question is, what is the cost of a red card? Are players' wages garnished if they don't play is there a knock-on effect with sponsorships this is the bit i find really interesting so mm. for example do team viewer get a refund if cristiano ronaldo is unavailable because he's suspended and tim actually said bruno fernandez but i changed it to make it more topical you're, you're um, down with the kids yeah it could or actually it could be cristiano our backlog is such it could be cristiano ronaldo from the last time couldn't it so, <laughs> or eusebio um uh, Tim says, would there be additional clauses for serial offenders? For example, think Joey Barton rather than Gary Lineker. Well, definitely not Gary Lineker. He only, I believe he only ever got one yellow card in his career uh, because he once told us he didn't care enough to foul anybody. But it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's a question I've never thought. That's why one of the reasons I like these. As you know, every week I love questions that seem simple, but are so simple we've never actually discussed them so it's, it's the sponsorship one i find really interesting if if team viewer are, are spending gazillions on sponsoring man united and and two of their star players are out for three four games because of the red card you'd think they would be slightly miffed about that wouldn't you um whilst, whilst they would be miffed um i'm 99.99 percent certain that they would not be able to get any financial benefits from this because it's right. the same as getting an injury um, and, and yeah, there's that there's an element of chance with regards to that. In terms of Tim's comments with regards to the players, what we are seeing uh, these days is, as far as players' contracts are concerned, they are heavily incentivized. So there are yeah, there are appearance bonuses, win bonuses, draw bonuses. You even you even get bonuses if you get on the bench. So therefore, the player is automatically penalised through having a one-match or three-match uh, suspension yes. from a red card. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the the danger is if you are uh, if you are a player who is perhaps you know, not as uh, certain of, of starting as either Bruno Fernandes or Cristiano Ronaldo, somebody comes in in those three games and you know, some managers take the view that you know, if, if, if they're playing well, you, you keep the shirt. You, you earn the right to keep the shirt. So it, it could actually have a longer-term implication. Um, but some contracts are quite complicated. So if we go back to one of my, one of my favourite footballers of all time, Mario Balotelli, um, uh-huh. in his contract that he had with Liverpool, he was entitled to a £1 million bonus if he was not sent off or he was not caught spitting at an opponent. <laughs> Well, that's that's good. That's sort of positive reinforcement. I like that. that, that that's right. Um, and also, it was, so, and he, he mustn't have no more than three red cards in a season. So, yeah, Mario was 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 an entertainer, um, and uh, I, I always love the story of him driving down Deansgate in Manchester uh, in an open top car, just throwing twenty pound notes at people. Um, you know, he 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 was a he's a genuinely lovely guy. 
Mm. Uh, yeah, well, everybody I spoke to in Manchester when I was there was uh, absolutely adored him um, because he was he, he genuinely cared. <clears throat> yeah, I always um, somebody once said to me the exactly the same thing. But he's a lovely, lovely guy. I just don't look him in the eye. <laughs> I suppose from the sponsor's point of view, um, if, if in the unlikely event that Ronaldo is suspended for having a red card, he'd probably still be at the game anyway, wouldn't he? Doing the the handshaking, the photograph stuff, anyway. Oh, oh yes, and, yeah. and uh, you know the, the, the cameras always cut to the players. Uh, you know who are staring deeply in, and intently at their at their mobile phones for ninety minutes when they're <laughs> when they're not playing. So, so, so those so those elements of the uh, uh, of, of the deal will be will be applicable. But it, it could be that um, a player will have private contracts with personal sponsors, and those could be linked to appearances. Uh, so again, you know, the player could. The, whilst Manchester United, I don't think would lose out. The player with his personal contracts, you know, that we have a with a a, a good faith clause. Um, you know, you think about players like uh, you know sports stars like Lance Armstrong and Tiger Woods when when they've got into difficulties, shall we say, um, their sponsors, uh, you know, ripped up the contracts. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by The Price of Football online course, hosted by our very own Kieran Maguire. Kieran, tell us more. Well, Kevin, um, it's some friends of mine who, who couldn't afford the Swiss Ramble. So therefore, they decided instead to create The Price of Football course. Uh, so it's a six-week online course starting on the 20th of September, and it's been designed for anybody who wants to potentially get a career in the football industry through a combination of quality education, but also networking. It's really important that you get to know people in the industry because it is a small industry. So it includes six hours of weekly study material and a 90-minute mentoring session every week on topics like governing bodies, clubs and investors. I might manage to sneak a bit about amortization in about it as well. Um, so they've asked me to be one of the tutors. So uh, you will see me or perhaps hear me, hear me uh, or failing that, perhaps they'll see and hear Finlay. Um, and you'll also get the option to attend the, the World Football Summit in Madrid, though I suspect that will be virtually. It sounds wonderful, Gary. It does sound genuinely interesting. Um, and a very good way to launch your career. I also like the fact that you're more likely to be tutored by Finlay than you are by me. Um, if, if you are listening to this and you'd like to launch your career in the football industry with Kieran, who better, let's face it, to help launch your career in the football industry, head to www.sportstalentnetwork.com for more information. And I also believe you can get an early bird 33% discount at the moment. So go to www.sportstalentnetwork.com to sign up. Um, and perhaps I'll see you on the course and Finley as well. the few times I saw uh, the normally genial Roy Hodgson really angry because somebody asked him about players and mobile phones uh, and then made it worse by asking them about players getting off the team coach with headphones on. <laughs> Roy, Roy wasn't happy with the modern world that day. Now, Kieran, you, you know... Better than <laughs> I know what's coming can. next. <laughs> <laughs> you know that legally we were obliged to rethink our top 10 wrongens list, as you recall, as it turned out that there's a grey area with us actually stating that people 
who listened to the pod were wrong as well. I don't think any lawyer, Kieran, would keep this question out of your top 10 list. <laughs> this question comes from Merrick Boosfield. I hope I've pronounced your name correctly, Merrick, because it deserves to be pronounced properly because you've made Kieran a very happy man. So happy, in fact, Merrick. You'll be, you'll be pleased to know, Merrick, that Kieran even mentioned it at lunch. Uh, it was one of the reasons I ordered the second bottle, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and, <laughs> this is, here we go. I'll take, this, is, this, is the, this is the question. Uh, Merrick says, now that the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, Strategy has published the consultation document on restoring trust in audit and corporate governance, do you think the definition of public interest entities should be expanded to include football clubs? Now, Merrick, I'm not saying I lost interest in Kira's discussion, but let's just say I now know the dessert menu by heart <laughs> in, that, in that particular restaurant. But it's... Uh, I, I, I get the gist of the question, Kieran. I understand that, that this, this report has been going on and it, it seems that there's a lack of trust in audit and corporate governance, which is being restored. So should um, should a football club be included as a public interest entity, Kieran? And let's remind me what, what it is. It's been, it's been three long days and more bottles of wine <laughs> since, since you explained. Right. The, the reason why this, this has come about is we've had a lot of corporate scandals, companies going bust, um, and there's a viewpoint, Kevin. There's a viewpoint that is a rather cosy old boys network between the people in the boardroom, the auditors, the corporate lawyers, the bankers, and it's yeah, it's all sort of uh-huh. yeah. Let, let's let let let's meet at such and such a club and shake hands and you know uh, a- approve everything going through with a nod and a wink and a uh, and, and and a uh, yeah a, a, a few bottles of red, um, and. Um, this has led to uh, corporate entities going down the wrong routes, scandals, financial, and, and people losing out. Um, so there's the government is saying, do we need to address this? Um, and it's going through a very, you know, very long, very serious process. We've had the white paper, um, but it's a case of if we're going to up the the standard of monitoring. Uh, companies, um, which companies should we include? So, you know, if, if, you, if, you're, if you've got shares which are being traded on a stock exchange, you know, you or I via our pensions, by the way, are, are investors in those companies. So, yeah. you know, we, I think I think we're entitled to know, and, and yeah, we've got people who are private investors as well. Um, it should include all financial institutions, yeah, you know, because you you put faith, yeah, you know, when you put money into your bank account. And you know, when, I, when I mean you, I'm talking to producer guy here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, crack on. <laughs> um, well, when producer guy puts money into his bank account, he does it in 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 the good faith that the money's going to be there when he wants to take it out. Uh, yeah. So, so therefore, banks should be monitored. Then we move into the private companies. And there's, you know, British Home Stores, for example, BHS went bust a few years ago. It was a private company. Lots of people lost their jobs. Um, I think there was a view taken that perhaps it could have been run a little bit better. So what I think uh, Merrick is suggesting is should football enter that particular realm? Now, my view, uh, and, and I have been critical of the governance, is that I am very uncomfortable about the old boys network in, mm. in football. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm, uh, you know, and that there, 
if, if we go back to you know, why did we start this podcast? We, we started this podcast on the back of Berry. Um, the yeah. EFL commissioned a report into what went wrong with Berry, and the recommendation was that there should be independent directors. And the EFL said, "Sod that for a game of soldiers. We're sticking to the old boys' network." Mm. Um, you know, and, and why wasn't there a report in Mac- into what happened at Macclesfield? It's because <coughs> the EFL managed to get rid of Macclesfield from the EFL a yes, few weeks yeah. before the club went bust, and, and we all know what was driving that. So, um, you know, I'm not happy about the level of governance in the game. At the same time, do I think that the BIES uh, rules should extend to football? I, I don't. And, and the reason for that is that the compliance costs of monitoring and keeping up to date with uh, the demands w- would simply be too high. And, and, the, and the, the industry doesn't have the resources to do it. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I find this fascinating, fascinating in inverted commas, let's put that for a start. <laughs> um, but every time, in fact, just on the last pod, you I can't remember which club it, it was, but you talked about a club club's accounts being unaudited. And, and every time you say that, I point out, because Guy likes me to do so, that legally a club's accounts don't have to be audited. But I also point that out because I'm still constantly surprised that accounts for any organisation of a certain size can go Unaudited, because you'd imagine that the, the the club, the the shop, the department store would want their accounts audited, uh, and you can only assume that if they don't, it's because they they're dodgy. Which 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 is not to imply that the club we were talking about last week's accounts are dodgy, but you'd think it would be in their best interest, and also you'd think that if there are problems down the line, they can say, well, actually, the accounts were audited, so as far as we knew, everything was in order. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, 99% of company accounts are unaudited. 99%? 99%, yeah. So, um, and that does not mean that 99% of companies are dodgy. Um, mm. the, 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 the benefits of having your accounts audited is, A, HMRC are probably less likely to investigate yeah, you know, they're probably yeah. a bit more confidence. And if you if you go to a bank and you say, "Here's my company accounts. Will you lend me money on the strength of that?" and uh, yeah, the bank manager says, "Well, they're they're unaudited and they've been prepared in crayon." <laughs> you know, I'm I'm probably not going to lend you money on that back. So you know, it, it does give it as it does give it a kite mark, but at the same time, it's a costly experience. So I can understand clubs. Who are you know they're living from you know hand to mouth at present as we know, mm. um, not ne- necessarily wanting to go down that route. Um, they are still subject to investigation by the football authority. So you know both the Premier League and the EFL could could turn up and say you know uh, we just have a, a bit of a closer look or we just want to we want to check some of the numbers. So so they they are still uh, potentially available to scrutiny. Um, 
and, and that's 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 where we stand at present. Uh, you know, the the, the number of companies, in fact, the, the audit regime has been reduced certainly during you know, my lifetime as, you know, as as somebody who is in theory an accountant or. Mm. Um, but uh, that that's because the the other entities will normally say. If you want to borrow money from us, or if we've got a tax dispute, we suggest you get a professional advisor, and and that could up that could end up costing the company more money in the long term. Mm, I can one hundred percent confirm that bank managers don't like stuff in crayon. <laughs> uh, Paul Salvin is a worried borough fan. Uh, Paul says that Middlesbrough's accounts for last year, up to June thirtieth, twenty twenty, showed that we lost a staggering thirty five million pounds just three months into the pandemic. How bad are the accounts going to be for twenty twenty one? Now, we rarely worry about borough, Kieran, because we, I think, we assume that that very long term owner Steve Gibson will resolve any short term financial issues. Uh, well, well, yes, because he because that's what he's always done in the past. And if you take a look at his haulage company called Gibson O'Neill, that that's actually quite a successful organisation in its own right, which has always managed to subsidise the football club. Um, I, I think that Paul's right to 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 raise you know a, a, a bit of concern about Borough. Uh, if, if you take a look at its accounts for the last ten years, in seven of those years, wages have. Being bigger than revenue, and the only three years when well, it wasn't was uh, a the year that Borough were promo- you know, their, their season yeah. in the Premier League, and the two following seasons when they had the benefits of, of parachute payments. Um, they, they're in a they were in a mess in certainly in 2020. Wages were 160 percent of revenue, wow. um, and Steve Gibson probably did not help himself in uh, I think it was 2017 18. Uh, Borough had just been relegated uh, to the championship, and he said, "We're going to smash it. We are. We're, we're going to. We're going to go straight back up." Yeah. Um, and, and, he, and he spent sixty-six million pounds on new players that season. And if if you do that and you go straight back up, fine. If you do it and three years <laughs> later you're in the championship, yeah. you've you've got. Le- it's, it's a big word in football these days. You've got legacy costs because the players you're signing are normally would be on three, four, five year contracts, and you're committed to those high wages. So, I, I think for 2021, it it will be a tough year for Borough. I think after 2021, paradoxically, they've been through that smash it season. And then they retrench. Then they realise, well, yeah, even Steve Gibson, who's, who's, a, who's a very generous benefactor um, and, and, a, and a huge fan of Derby County, by the way. Um, <laughs> I knew you wouldn't be able to resist that. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is actually a Derby story, but we're going to hold it back to, to Wednesday or Thursday. Oh, are we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, great. Oh, I look forward to Well, I don't know if I look forward to that or not. <laughs> um, our next question from Fiona Alder is a cracker. It's a real cracker, this question, Kieran. Uh, it's just sheer coincidence that Fiona happens to be my sister-in-law uh, <laughs> uh, and is almost single-handedly responsible for our huge army of listeners in the States where she lives. Uh, anyway, she, she recommends us to everyone that she meets in America, Kieran. Uh, actually, she tells everyone to listen, but Fiona has a certain manner which suggests that not listening is not the right option. <laughs> uh, she anyway, that well with my Uncle Terry. She probably, I, I, I wouldn't put a bet on which one would come out first, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, anyhow, the lovely Fiona Alder says, uh, thinking about football history, 
Was it always the case that football clubs lost money? Going back 40 years and more, did the same financial struggle exist? If not, what changed to make the financials of most clubs so tenuous? I'm going to guess, that, Kieran, that you all say the 20th of February 1992. And on a similar note, Zishan Hamid asked whether, historically, English titles and European Cups were always won by the teams with most money to spend on transfer fees and wages as they are now. Now, Fiona... I know you listen to our pod, and it's lovely that you do, so it's brilliant. Just so you know, I would have put your question first. That producer guy put his foot down. Uh, so he didn't care who you're related to and would happily say so to your face. I didn't tell him that you're in England at the moment. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, okay, am, I, it, am I right in saying that you will say what changed will be the formation of the Football League, which happened on the 20th of February 1992, the Premier League? Premier League. Um yeah. That that is certainly one of the the big events. I think there there, there are two issues. First of all, there was the creation of the Premier League, which uh, effectively hived off the TV monies to to the to the twenty. It was twenty two clubs to begin with. It was um, yeah. Um, if if we take a look at uh, Liverpool's accounts, I've, I've got the accounts from. Uh, uh, 1989-90 in, in front of me. The, the club, the club used to break even in those days. As, as you know, some classes, some clubs might have a small loss, um, but if, you know, l- losses were measured in uh, in thousands rather than millions in those days. Mm. It was it was because uh, uh, Liverpool's total revenue in 1989-90 was only 10 million pounds. We've now got players on. Wages, which are more than ten million pounds, yes, yeah. individual players. So, so there has been a major transformation. So that that was that's one issue. The other issue, um, and this is this is something which we which we did actually discuss at lunch on on the other day, was the distribution of money between divisions. And it, you know, prior to the Premier League, it was 50, 25, 12 and a half, 12 and a half in terms of TV money, but also going back. Before that, um, match day income used to be split between the home and the away club. So, you know, we, yeah, we now have situations where uh, Spurs's match day income is £120 million, and you've got clubs whose match day income will be as low as five. So, we, we, you know, we've got a, a gap between the divisions, we've got a gap within the division. And, uh, you know, pe- people ultimately, you know, in terms of the fan-led review, I, th- I think what the key question people have got to work out is what exactly do we want from football in terms of it being a competitive sport? Because um, if you just address uh, the issue of TV rights, it's ignoring the fact that some clubs – uh, have a have a, a a further financial benefit through uh, bigger stadia um, and bigger commercial deals, or or do we say well ultimately you know, they're private companies, they're, they're global brands, and they are entitled to keep all of their money for themselves? Um, so you know th- there are there are big questions to be asked, and I think there's perhaps in my view there's too narrow a focus. Uh, just on TV money, which which certainly doesn't help the you know, the situation we have. You know, mm. the, the gap between the the Premier League and the Championship and the Championship and League One are uh, uh, problematical, and and they they encourage the overspends, which which Fiona refers to. So losses are 
um, especially losses in the championship. You know, as soon as that incentive to get up to the Premier League started to to widen in, in terms of the gap in terms of the EFL TV deal and the Premier League TV deal, um, then clubs started to gamble, um, and, mm. and you gamble as yeah, we on the back of. Uh, Paul's question about Borough, you, you gamble by spending money. Yeah. Looking at uh, Zishan's question, um, he, he's absolutely right. I, I, I did actually uh, prepare a, a, a spreadsheet uh, a few weeks ago, which showed that uh, we could go all the way back to the formation of the Premier League. It's always been connected. Uh, success, success in terms of winning the league has been uh, closely connected to wages. Uh, that's interesting. Um, uh, what about before the Premier League then? Because we we always talk about clubs like you know Derby and Nottingham yep. Forest succeeding. So would that have been the same case then? Would they have been? It was. It was less of an issue because you actually had a greater variety of clubs winning the league. But you know, if if you look at Forest's accounts, remember Forest were the first club to pay a million pounds <laughs> indeed for indeed, a player yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in terms of uh, you know, ray of sunshine, uh, Trevor Francis. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, we did discuss this at lunch the other day, Kieran, uh, but I wouldn't like people listening to this to think that the only purpose of our lunch was to discuss things that we talk about on the podcast. We talked about a wide range of things, you and I, uh, TV from the 70s, music oh, yeah. from it's the awesome. 70s. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. we talked about a lot of things from the 70s, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> And Kieran Simmons has our penultimate question. Uh, and Kieran says, on my last few trips over to watch Birmingham City play, I noticed that even the substitutes were sponsored, to which the fans amusingly sing, who are you? Uh, it could be recommending my book, to be honest. <laughs> uh, Kieran says, is there anything on a match day in English football that isn't allowed to be sponsored? In League of Ireland games, even the match ball was sponsored. Um, certainly at Sellers Park, corners and added time are sponsored. Uh, I live in fear, Kieran, of the day that English football shirts are like French ones with every inch covered in in sponsorship and adverts. But it, it, are there rules that, that prevent certain things being sponsored? I mean, it, yeah, referees are sponsored in Scotland, aren't they? So I, I presume there's no reason why corner flags, centre circles can't be sponsored. Yeah, everything, uh, everything is up for grabs. Certainly we've got stadium stands. Shirts now. Yeah, what's going to happen in terms of shorts? It's in, in other sports, it's allowed. The I think the FA, the Premier League, and the EFL do have very uh, strict rules as to the size of sponsorship uh, logos on, on shirts, uh, and I think that's probably done in conjunction with their, with their broadcast partners as well. Um, but uh, you know, there's there's nothing to stop uh, you know the uh, the the blog screen grocer's penalty spot is uh, the ball's now being put on it, yeah. um, and uh, you know somebody somebody's going to score or, or miss a goal from it. So no, there's there's nothing in theory, um, but there there are as far as what happens on the pitch, there are restrictions. Um, because if you think about it, you know, I, we both watch uh, rugby and cricket as well, and you quite whoa, often whoa, see. Whoa, 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 whoa! We we both watch cricket, Kieran. Let's let's. I, I, I will be getting angry letters from people oh, who know really? me if you suddenly reveal that I watch handball foul. <laughs> oh yeah, I watch the old the old Six Nations game. It's it's normally. Oh okay. yeah, I watch that if it if it's on and there's yeah. no there's no cartoons on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch I'll watch the rugby and, and 
very amusingly shout handball foul every time they pick the ball up, which drives my <laughs> mate, my mate Gloucester Dave, <laughs> drives him up the wall. <laughs> you can't see the ball, Kieran. I, like, I prefer a sport where you can see the actual ball. Yes, it's, I, I think it's a crazy sport, but you know, it's. Uh, I, I, I've done the accounts for a rugby club in uh, in Trafford for the last thirty years, and, and the work they do with the local communities is absolutely amazing. So, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's a strange sport, but it's uh, in ter- in terms of discipline, I think football could learn a few things from it, and also uh, football could not learn a few things from it as well. Yeah, I, I'm Kieran. I am second to none in my admiration for any sports club that does work in the community. Uh, I disagree with you on the discipline front, as I find it slightly sinister that grown men stand in front of the referees like public schoolboys in front of the headmaster. But uh, there you are. Crazy golf. Why isn't there, why isn't there more crazy golf on telly? <laughs> Fishy, I'd watch that. Fishy, I'd, actually, I quite, I find myself watching golf increasingly, Kieran, as I can't be asked to go to the countryside anymore. So I just watch <laughs> golf for the scenery. <laughs> but but going, going back to, to Kieran's question... Could the yeah. could you have could you have logos on the pitch? Yeah, well, I mean, in, in cricket they have exactly. what, look, what look like logos on the pitch, but mm. our, our TV tricks. So I, why why does that not happen in football? I mean, at half time, I'm amazed that hasn't been considered before, especially now that every single sport has a, an obligatory drone shot, mm. overhead camera shot. I'm amazed that parts of the pitch aren't being sponsored. I, I think we need a secret broadcaster to help us answer questions of this nature. Oh, that's a good idea. We, yeah, in fact, <laughs> oh, yeah, we, that's one of the reasons we had lunch, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not cut out for this sort of game, Kieran. <laughs> uh, our last question comes from Chris Weeks, except it's not a question, is it, Chris Weeks? What have I said before in the past about trying to get free consultation from the country's leading football finance expert <laughs> in the guise of an innocent request for information? Uh, Chris says, over the last 20 years, my club, Darlington, has lost our beloved ground at Feetums, spent a number of years playing at a 25,000-seat stadium before it broke us financially, and have since reformed as a fan-owned club and are back in town sharing with a rugby club. Without a rich benefactor, which with our constitution as a fan-owned club is improbable, are there any novel funding sources you suggest we could explore to develop the ground to football league standards and help get us back to where we hope to be? Now, as you're a fan-owned club, Chris, I'm nodding this through. Anyone else? And Kieran starts invoicing, uh, which, by the way, Kieran, I've recently learned uh, from my account that you're supposed to do for everything. <laughs> yes. I think you meant to do it for every job you did. He was quite adamant on the subject as well. <laughs> um, yeah, in terms of Darlington, I, I, what I'd suggest they do is they, they perhaps get in contact with uh, our good friends at AFC Wimbledon because yeah. we've got the Don's Bond where uh, effectively it's a form of crowdfunding where you – you can lend money to the football club. They will pay you not a you know, not a high rate of interest, but uh, so th- this this is actually being used as part of the the development and return to Plough Lane. Um, a, uh, a a ground I, I would I would like to return to because on the one trip which I did have there, which I think was about eighty four eighty five, um, which was a Tuesday night against the Crazy Gang, um, it was. It was, without doubt, the most unpleasant toilets in the history of of football, and that yeah, you know, and we're talking wow, yeah, yeah. that that's the challenge. But you know, that, that was the that was the only memory of the place 
so, so I'm hoping things have improved since then. I'm sure they have, of course. Um, yeah, it's, it's a brand new stadium, Kieran. I, th- I think even in these days of nostalgia, they'd be slightly <laughs> not, foolish not to, to bring the old toilets back. <laughs> uh, I, when I was, I was seeing the toilet, the toilets away at Fulham used to be shocking. It was basically four breeze block walls. Um, Plough Lane, so I, I used to love going to Plough Lane as a Palace fan because it was literally the only stadium we could be superior about. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, um, but yeah, but it's it's a good. I, I think th- there is a slight difference between Wimbledon and Darlington. Kieran, like yeah. Wimbledon had a had a lot, a lot of high end benefactor fans when they first yeah. came for it. It's in, it's in a wealthy, obviously, it's South London club, but it's it's you know they're not far from the wealthy stockbroker belt, so they they kind of. They started, I think, probably from a financially better base than Darlington are possibly at at the moment. Yes, yes. Um, and, and in terms of I mean, uh, you know, crowdfunding, getting local support from local businesses, um, trying to turn it into more of a 365-day-a-year mm. uh, revenue-generating ground. So you know, perhaps you know, the next step is, is to improve your conference facilities, uh, hospitality facilities for... You know, for, for corporates and so on, um, you know, so that's that's one route to go down. Um, I think the Darlington story is a fascinating one, and, mm. and we've seen what's happened at Wrexham. That you know they, they've they've spent a lot of money now in the National League in terms of player recruitment on the back of the uh, of the Ryan Reynolds uh, yeah. link, um, and they're getting a documentary on that. Well. Yeah, what happened at Darlington, Feetums, was it, was it George Reynolds, the safe breaker? Indeed, yeah, convicted yeah. safe breaker. So, yeah. uh, Guy, you don't have to worry about that. He was definitely a convicted safe breaker. Yeah, so he 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 created the, the Reynolds Bowl, I believe. Indeed. Um, and I know things haven't worked out as, as the, you know, fans would have ideally liked since then. So, you know, is, is there a potential story there? You know, Netflix will, will make a documentary on most things these days as, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but, but not a, uh, not a football finance podcast as yet, sadly. Um, I, I think who, who, that... who would play the part of you, Kevin? <laughs> well, as we know, Kieran, because we've discussed this many times, Having not got the part of as myself yes. in, in Ted Lasso, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Uh, it would be somebody who was, you know, once ruggedly good looking, but has, you know, possibly put on a bit of weight during some kind of lockdown. I don't know. Uh, Phil Jupiter's. Uh, I'll go with Phil Jupiter's. <laughs> um, I always liked Darlington's kit as well, black and white hoops. Was yes. A, it was a classy kit. I think the, the trouble is with Chris, Chris's question. And it, it sounds trite, but the way to make money is to be successful, isn't mm. it? To win things. So it's it's a kind of dragon eating itself thing, isn't it? The, head, the head's in the tower. It's like you need the money to be successful, but you need to be successful to yeah. make the money. So it's um, it's a hard one. I feel for. I mean, because they were, you know, they were, a, a, they well, they still are, you know, a club in a proud footballing area. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, perhaps we should put it to our listeners. So if any of our listeners have got imaginative, interesting ways of – if only Uncle Terry was still with us. Yes. You know, yes. He'd, he'd, just be in, he'd just make a couple of phone calls, get in the car, see well, his he's, fence. Well, he's, he's probably got George Reynolds on speed dial. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that helps. Um, so, Chris, thank you for your question. If you have any questions for us – for our pod, we will try and get to them as quickly as possible. 
where are we in the decade at the moment? Uh, yeah, might be a while. <laughs> uh, but it's questions at priceoffootball.com. Uh, and obviously, if you'd like to make a small contribution to our always free to air podcast, then you can do it at patreon.com forward slash price of football. And while you're doing that, I shall leave you in the capable hands of Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks again for all the kind words, folks. Uh, we, we we do appreciate the uh, the feedback. We, uh, we we do try to keep things as correct as possible, but uh, you you keep us on the straight and narrow, uh, which yeah. is uh, which, given my family background, is uh, quite a challenge. Um, if you if you uh, if if you want to give us some good karma, we don't want to go down the Patreon route. Anymore. We appreciate financial circumstances uh, may may determine that and many other reasons as well um if you, if you could go to the apple podcast app uh, you know uh, follow us on that and if you could give us a review give us five stars it it helps us in and, and myself and kevin we we don't run businesses we're not like producer guy <laughs> but the producer guy always tells us <laughs> it helps it helps the business side of things boys so make sure you mention it <laughs> That's that's one of the biggest understatements you've ever said. We oh, just the thought of you and I running. You'd be great at running a business. I'd be any business I ran would have a brilliant first three weeks. Uh, the employees would be the happiest employees in the world, and then suddenly they'd be boarded up. Anyway. Uh, and, and can I just point out as well that uh, producer guy is not quite as philosophical about being paid in karma as you are. You know, he, the look on Guy's face when you offer him karma instead of cash. <laughs> well, I could say it's a form of cryptocurrency. You might, might be interested in that one. Oh, that's a really good idea. That's great. I, I, I wonder who the first footballer would be who wants to be paid in karma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Julian Speroni, he would have been happy being paid in karma. Right. Uh, if anyone is, deserves good karma, it's that man. So I'm going to start welling up now, Kevin, if we start talking about Julian Speroni. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. The price of football.